Keep those Bibles out and turn over to the New Testament, the book of Titus. Again, we're in Titus chapter 2, looking at Paul's exhortation to demonstrate the graces of God in our lives in verses 1 through 15. This morning we are focusing in on this next generation that he is speaking to here, these younger men. That's found for us in verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8 of Titus chapter 2. Hear now the words of the New Testament as the Apostle Paul writes. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not, or may be, rather, put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let us pray again. Father, this is the Word of God, and we do pray that you would uh, apply this Word by your Spirit to us, so that we might be uh, living demonstrations of your grace within our lives. Grow us up in discipleship, make us more like Jesus, even this morning, that as you speak, give us ears to hear, so that we might be molded and made to look more like our Savior and your Son, our Christ. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, take these words and encourage where you ought to encourage, convict where you ought to convict, so that we might be able to put to death sin in our life and pursue holiness. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, as we uh, look at verses 6 through 8, we have to understand something of the dynamic that exists here uh, within the island of Crete, especially in regards to this church planner, uh, Titus, who has been commanded to go about the whole island of Crete and to plant gospel-preaching, gospel-believing, gospel-living churches. Because we know something about the man Titus. We know that Titus is a young man, in and of himself, and so as he speaks, as Paul speaks to this idea of being a young man within the household of faith, being a young man who is a Christian outside of the church, within the community, he is speaking not only to the young men within the congregation, but he's speaking to Titus himself. That's why already we've seen some repetition with some of the the language or the characteristics that Paul uses As he speaks to these young men, he begins to talk again about the teaching that accords with sound doctrine, as he does there in verse 1. And as I was reading some commentaries later on in this past week for this particular sermon, I opened up to uh, one of Calvin's paragraphs, John Calvin's paragraphs, and he says about his culture then... And I think it applies to today, targeting the young men within the household of faith, the church. It says, young men today live in a world that can easily bring out the worst in a person. Young men today live in a world that can easily bring out the worst in a person. One of the things that that reminded me of as we were thinking about young men, even as I was thinking about myself as a young man, is that it's not often the case that we meet young men 
within the household of faith that have maintained throughout their whole lives a good testimony of faith. It's not often that we meet young men within the church that have always held to a good testimony of faith within their Christian walk. Usually it seems as if in our Christian testimonies for younger men that the world has caused us to stray away from the paths of righteousness, the way of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus. Because what we find ourselves in a culture with, especially in regards to young men, is a generation that are shallow, shady, sensual, and sinful. It's hard to be a young man within this world today because it often easily brings out the worst in a person. And yet it's this targeted group, young men within the church, that God begins to establish these characteristics of how they are to demonstrate the grace of God in their lives, not only in the local congregation, but also in the world outside of the church. One of the things in which we have to continue to remind ourselves of as we think about Titus 2 and we think about these characteristics of older men and and older women and and younger women and and younger men is that it's really an impactful way that, that Paul is calling these people to live that will impact the world around them. And you think about the way in which a young man can conduct himself, walk in the ways of Christ within a sin-filled world that really stands out against the rhythms of a culture that promotes sinfulness and wickedness and sensuality. God expects the younger men within the household of faith to imitate the older men within the life of the church so that they might reflect that they belong not only to the church, but that they belong to God. And before we even get into the characteristic that unpacks itself here in verses 6 through 8, this idea of being self-controlled and then showing themselves to be model of good works and showing integrity and being of sound speech, all these things unpack, I think, from that idea of self-control, we have to remind ourselves of this discipleship dynamic that exists within Titus chapter 2. The way in which Paul writes, older men, older women, teaching younger men and younger women is explicitly spoken to when in regards of the, the female dynamic. Remember what it says earlier on in our selected text, the text that Pastor Don handled last week is that the older women are to live unto godliness so that they might show the the younger women how to conduct themselves in ways that are good. It's an imitation, isn't it? It It's a call for the younger women within the church to to imitate the faithfulness and the godliness and the the holiness, the Christ-likeness of the older women within the church. And in the same way, Paul is commending the older men within the church to be the disciplers of this younger generation within the church so that they might be imitated as well. And actually what is so good in the providence of the Lord is that our 
Sunday school lesson in Philippians 3, 16 through 19 this morning parallels much of what's being discussed in this discipleship dynamic in Titus chapter 2 because it's there that Paul tells us who are those people who are worthy of imitation and who are those people who we ought to avoid imitating. And he tells us it's those who get the gospel right. And Sinclair Ferguson, who writes the little commentary on the on the book of Philippians that we're using in the Seeker Sunday School class, he tells us the ones who get the gospel right know, first and foremost, that the Christian life is one of progressive sanctification. It's one that shows that we are walking with Christ and there's marketed achievements of holiness that exist within their lives. There's, there's Christian growth. There's an understanding that God, by His Spirit and by His Word, is making me more like Jesus. I'm having victory over sin more than I did a year ago. I'm reading my Bible more than I did two years ago. I'm a better husband than I was five years ago. I can control my anger better than I did eight years ago. It's a marketed improvement in Christ's likeness. That's the first thing he says. The one who gets the gospel right understands the doctrine of sanctification. But also, Paul says, that their understanding of sanctification actually reveals itself within their works. And so you think about the way in which the Apostle Paul speaks to older men within the church. He gives another list of characteristics, these qualifications. And he holds them before the younger men in the church, and he says, these are the younger men, or these are the older men, rather, that the younger men ought to imitate. Well, you might be sitting here as an older man and you might try to perceive some humility in and of yourself. This is one of the points that I thought was so humorous in Sinclair Ferguson's little book on Philippians because it targeted something that we all try to deal with. Because you will quickly say, well, don't imitate me, imitate Jesus. And Paul flips that on his head and he goes, no, you imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I understand the gospel. I'm striving to live in Christ's likeness. The older men within the church, as they see these characteristics, they should see them almost as a checklist of faith and say, if this is me, I am worthy to be a disciple maker of the younger generation within the church. And even if you can't check those lists, it should be an encouragement to you. Let me grow in Christ's likeness so that I might train up the younger generation within the church. And the younger men should read the characteristics of the, of the older generation, the older men within the church, and they should be targeting those men. Here are the men that I see that display these characteristics, these traits. I need to connect myself to them so that they might train me up in what it means to be a Christian, so that they might train me up in what it means to walk with Christ, so that they might tell me what it means to be a good Christian father and husband, a good Christian co-worker or boss, uh, whatever the, the sphere of influence might be. And it all ties back into this idea that, that the Apostle Paul wants these generations he wants men and women to be visible demonstrations of the grace of God 
in this kind of wild and unruly world that exists within the island of Crete. And if we think about young men for a moment, we have to, we have to understand or at least admit that young men are more complex than we often realize. We, we like to say husbands, right? That, that women are, are complex and they are hard to understand and and they might say yes, but they really mean no. And they might say, I don't want a gift, but they really want a gift. And you better show up with a gift, right? We, we know something about that complex dynamic. But if we really think about it, young men are complex in and of themselves. Because young men have to, to navigate these different stages of life. They have to think about dating and, and marriage. They have to think about education and careers. They, they, they have their own interests and, and peculiar bends. But they also have to, to search for a job. They have to navigate raising children and being head of their households. And they're always wondering. Young men are always wondering, where will life take me? There, there's a... There's a sense within the, the young man's mind that, that's not just a, a skepticism, if you will, but it's a, it's a wondering. It's a, where will I be in five years? Where will I be in ten years? And so you have this kind of aspect of the, the younger man's life, but then you also have this aspect of, of fearlessness. I, I was actually, if you didn't know this about me, I'm obsessed with true crime podcasts, okay? I love listening to true crime podcasts or watching true crime YouTube videos or something of the sort. Beth gets really bent out of shape when I'm listening to a murder mystery while I'm trying to go to sleep and she's trying to go to sleep at the same time. She's not really into true crime podcasts like I am. But I was watching this true crime uh, video just last night on YouTube as I was laying in the bed and this... This, this wicked man, this murderer, is, is pulled over by, the, by a policeman at a, at a high rate of speed. I think it was over 100 miles an hour. And the police officer, not even knowing, not only, not, you know, not knowing exactly who this man was, he says, I've been sitting in this spot waiting for you all day. And the, and the murderer quit back. I got here as fast as I could. And I thought, that, that was something that I would say at 19 years old. I, I would find myself trying to be, a, a, you know, sarcastic, smart-mouthed, because I was, you know, fearless. Y young men don't, don't feel the, the weight, the gravity oftentimes of, of life and consequences and, and repercussions for poor decisions. And that goes hand in hand with the culture that we live in today. It does not promote consequences or, or repercussions for, for bad decisions. But, but in all of this, in the complexity of all of this, you notice how a young man who is self-controlled, who shows integrity, who models good works. If you just think about the, the characteristics in which Paul is describing the good, godly, young man here within the, the household of faith, you think about the way in which he lives as he walks into this world of complexity and sinfulness, 
how he will stick out like a sore thumb. And Paul's saying that is good and that is for the glory of Christ that, that a young man would be in a position to stand out for God's glory, to be a, a dynamic influence in the lives of others. And so he says very specifically five things, five characteristics that I want to look at very briefly this morning. And in verse 6, the first thing is self-controlled. Or maybe your translation of God's Word says sensible. Actually, the Greek language would, would, would actually, I, I think, would better fit a, a translation of sensible. There's this idea of common sense. There's this idea of, of sober-mindedness or, or self-discipline. That a younger man must be sound. Calvin calls it a, a, a self-mastery over the decisions in which he makes that will display a, a God-wrought, a God-generated common sense, a soundness of mind, a self-control. You know, this, this fearless aspect of, of the younger man's heart. When he, smart, when he smarts off at the police for, for, for pulling him, for going at a high rate of speed, that is a poor, dumb, and foolish decision, isn't it? But a godly young man can show God's grace in his life by simply having a mastery over himself a sober judgment in how he conducts himself and how he speaks and how he lives and how he even fights the normal battles of, of sin within this sin-filled world. You see, the island of Crete lended itself for sinful promptings for the young man. And we've talked about these kind of characteristics of the island of Crete before, but let me just remind you that the island of Crete featured beautiful women who were immoral. The island of Crete boasted in their grape crop, which means they produced the best of the best wines even today, and so it was an island given over to drunkenness. It was, a, it was an island that was full of what we might call today beach bums. They were lazy. They were slothful. It was an island that gave themselves over to lying. They withheld the truth. And you think, well, it seems like a young man's paradise. And yes, if the young man was given over to sin... It would be a young man's paradise. But you see that in the island of Crete, a man, a young man who is self-controlled, has a mastery of self, who would not give, give up himself in the indulgences of drunkenness and sexual immorality and, and lying and slothfulness, laziness. You would see how this man would stand out from this world. And in a lot of ways, you can say that these characteristics of the island of Crete can carry over to the culture that we live in and that young men are growing up in today. And so you notice, don't you, how a young man is to stand out, is to be a, be a part, not a part, of this world. They are supposed to look different than the world around them. 
And, and you've probably noticed something like this. You've probably been at some sort of social gathering. And, and there's been uh, there there's there's been debauchery overflowing. And yet you've seen all these young men giving over to the, the lustful desires of the flesh, but then you saw one young man who, yes, he was having a good time. He was being a social butterfly, you might say, but he had control over himself the entire time. That's the man you want to be around. That's the man you want to attach yourself to. The man who has mastered who has mastered himself, who knows what it means to be sound in mind, has good common sense, he is sensible and in control of himself at all times. That is the young man in which Paul says is the godly man. But you see also that he says there at the beginning of verse 7, not only is the young man sensible, but the young man shows himself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now immediately my mind, the first couple of times I read this, went, went to kind of the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Went, went to that idea of gentleness and, and self-control. Paul just talked about self-control, kindness and mercy. But actually the way in which Paul writes here, he's talking about employment. Remember, one of those layers in the complexity of the young man's life is that he has to navigate education and work. And even when he's found a job, he's always wondering, you know, what's the next step going to be? Or, or, or what's my life going to look like in this job? Or maybe even the next job in five, ten years down the road. But Paul says, the young man who is a godly man, and what's, what must be modeled by the older men and and disciple to the younger men, it's this idea that they are always about an employment which is good and honest. They, they don't achieve wealth or riches in any sort of sinful manner or any sort of sin-filled scheme. A, a young man is one who involves himself in good, decent work, and he does it for the glory of God. And that surely would stand out in our culture today, wouldn't it? Instead of trying to finagle our way to more and more riches or, or, or find the co-worker that we can step over or step on to achieve the next job promotion, it's a man, the young man, the godly man must be one who goes about his work for the glory of God, works well and diligently and honestly, and he will demonstrate the God of grace in which he serves and allow God to bless him for the work and the endeavors that he is about. But also, the second part of verse 7 is that he must show himself uh, teaching uh, in, with integrity, or in your teaching, show integrity. And yes, specifically, he's talking to Titus here, but... But he is given a lesson for the young men here, a very short lesson. But he's given this idea that the younger man must be taught the doctrines of the Word of God. You know, oftentimes we, we think that, that what our younger generation needs is this watered-down gospel. 
these Sunday school lessons, even when they're in their teenage years or maybe even their early 20 years. No, brothers and sisters, it's time to start feeding this younger generation some meat of God's Word, some pure and biblical doctrine so that they might show integrity and dignity and so that that doctrine might reveal itself in in sound speech that cannot be condemned. They should know what they believe and why they believe it. And the younger generation should be able to articulate it so that what we believe might not be condemned and so that our opponent might be put to shame. You see this kind of apologetic language here, right? This defending of the faith. If if someone comes to us challenging what we believe and, and why we believe it, the younger generation, the younger men ought to be able to defend the faith in such a way that the opponent is put to shame, not the other way around. And so one of the reasons why we're seeing this deconstructing movement within the church is because the local church has not discipled the younger generation well. And so when they're going to college and they're butting up against these sinful and agnostic, hostile professors within the university world, and they begin to chide these students for this, for this believing in a fairy tale, the younger generation's going, you know what, I don't know why, what I believe and why I believe it, and so they must be right. But the local church, Paul is saying, must be about the business of discipling the younger generation in a way that, yes, even to college professors, these younger men might put them to shame as they articulate the doctrines of our holy religion. And that brings up this this fourth and fifth characteristic, this idea of being dignified and, and sound speech. It's this idea that we must, as younger men, be beyond reproach. That we must be not hostile with our words, but that we should leave people with nothing bad to say about us. That we must develop our own characteristics of of mercy, of self-control, yes, but we also must go about our daily living very diligently and honestly. So that every impact of our lives resemble the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because I'm, I'm, I'm short on time, I want to leave with these three observations that the great Anglican commentator John Stott says about these characteristics of the younger man. He says this in his commentary on, on 1 Timothy and Titus. He says, one... Looking at these characteristics of the younger man, it seems daunting for not only the younger man, but also for the older man. And not only for the younger man and the older man, but for the church as a whole. And he says, but it's doable. It's doable. It is possible for a young man to be this way. Maybe you're thinking, like me, boy, the work I have ahead of me to raise up Brooks, the younger generation, in the ways in which Paul has described the younger Christian man in Titus chapter 2. It seems impossible, doesn't it? But John Stott says, first, it is possible. And the second thing he says is that the young man needs to be encouraged to be like this. The young man ought to be encouraged to be like this. It must be reminded 
He must be reminded constantly throughout his Christian pilgrimage that this is what a good Christian man looks like. And this is what a good Christian man looks like in your age. This is what a good Christian man looks like while he's dating, while he's engaged, while he's you know, establishing a family, while he's setting off to college, while he's going into his first job. This is what a godly man ought to look like. They need to be encouraged to be godly. And then third, John Stott says, don't remember the discipleship aspect of Titus chapter 2. The young man needs examples to follow. The young man needs examples to follow. And so older men, would you be the example for us younger men so that we might walk in paths of righteousness together for the sake of our dear Lord and His gospel? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this, your word. And we pray, O Lord, that the younger men here within this congregation and within our families would be self-controlled, would be sensible, would would be sound-minded in all that they do and say, in the way that they work and in the way that they grow up. And Lord, put older men within uh, our vision so that they might be living examples, living Ebenezers, as we often say, of your faithfulness and grace so that we might walk in paths of righteousness together. Lord, create, enable within us this spirit of discipleship, this, this spirit of iron, sharpening iron for the, the growth of your kingdom here amongst us. And we pray that you would do it for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.